0: Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad because of her, all you who love her. Exult, exult with her. We are called to rejoice, to exult, and in fact, that is meant to be the characteristic of every Catholic Christian, is that we are characterized by joy. And yeah, very often, that's not the first thing that emanates from us all the time. And it's understandable, life is tough. But the reason for our joy is not because we have easy lives. No, the reason for our joy is just a little bit further down in this reading from Isaiah. The Lord says, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. What that that short verse tells us everything that we need to know. It tells us that that fierce and tender love of a mother is but a reflection of the love God has for you. We might be a little shocked by it because we tend to call God Father, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He revealed Himself in that way, but that wasn't meant to be a limiting factor. The fact that He revealed Himself that way doesn't mean like, oh yeah, any feminine characteristics, those don't apply. No, God is the perfection of all things. Woman is an image of God just as much as man is. And so we have these little gems throughout Scripture where God reminds us, yes, I revealed myself in such a way that you can refer to me as he, but don't think I'm limited by gender. Right? Everything has its source in God himself, and so a mother's love is no different. And he shows us that that tenderness and that security that we receive from a mother's embrace, we receive in our relationship with him And boy, do we need it. Because life is hard. There are so many demands on our time and on our attention, and we usually feel like we're not meeting them all well. And then on top of that, we have a world that, let's just say, doesn't always love Catholic Christians. And we might feel alone amidst our friends, too. We might think like, man, I'm the only one who has to like go to church, and I don't know. They ask me questions about, do I really believe this or that?" And I don't have the right answer, and I feel kind of on an island. Will you have the Lord that is the cause of your joy, because He will comfort you with that fierce and tender love that is even greater than that of a mother comforting her child. But we, Catholics in America have an additional reason for rejoicing this week. And that is because just over a week ago, something we had been fighting for for about 50 years finally happened. Many of us maybe gave up hope. We thought, oh, it's never going to happen in my lifetime. But an unjust and an evil ruling was finally undone. When the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and we have cause for rejoicing, we should be ringing the bells and singing hallelujah. Why? Because even if all of our efforts over the past 50 years of trying to have peaceful protests, the March for Life, for example, all of our uh, attempts at trying to uh, tell, um, to educate our brothers and sisters, in what abortion truly is, the horrors of it, and that women should have other options and not feel pigeonholed into having to kill their children. All of our efforts, if all of that ended up saving just one life because this is overturned, it would have been worth it. Because that one life was precious enough for Christ himself to shed his blood. And so that one life was worth 50 years and more of our efforts. what we know is that actually now this will save the lives not just of one life not just of 100 lives but millions if you look at the past 50 years and all of the innocent blood that has been shed and now we finally have a big step in the other direction so we have all the cause in the world to rejoice. But many of us are scared too. Many of us even feel like we're not supposed to because maybe we went on the internet and we thought, oh, okay, this is fine. And then our favorite celebrity said, it's a dark day for America. Or maybe we were looking at a political figure that we respect was saying, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And we start seeing like, wait, should I be rejoicing? Maybe I'm on the wrong side of this. Oh my gosh. And then maybe a coworker or a friend or a family member started attacking us and saying, like, oh, you all are responsible and you hate women. And, and we might be taken aback and think, whoa, 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 I don't, I don't hate any women. Like, I love women. I also just happen to not want babies to be killed in the womb. And is it possible for both of those to exist? Yes, actually it is. So we shouldn't be shocked if the world is upset with us for our joy because as we read in that second reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Galatians, Paul said, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And there is the blueprint for every Christian. Friends, we are crucified to the world because we are members of the Lord whom the world crucified. We stand with Him, And we're rooted in that cross of Christ in such a way that no matter how the world spins, we don't spin along with it. We're rooted in that cross of Christ. What does that mean? That we have to become culture warriors that are just angry all the time and if everybody else says black, we say white. And on the internet, ooh, we are as vicious as they come. No, not at all. What it means is that we know the truth, we live in the truth, we present that truth with love, even if the world should hate us. It means that we relentlessly refuse to hate the world in return. Right? The world made up of beloved sons and daughters of God. We relentlessly plant ourselves in the truth that every single person we will ever meet, every single person who has ever been conceived, is infinitely precious in the eyes of God. And we proclaim that truth in such a way that we're not scared if the world hates us. If they yell at us, if they spit upon us, if they call us every bad name in the book, if they even throw out at us the the, the label of bigotry, we say, you know what? Yeah, you're misunderstanding the situation. You might hate me for the rest of my life. You might think the worst things about me, but that's not going to rob me of my joy. Because my joy is not rooted in what you think of me. My joy is not rooted in my popularity. My joy is rooted in the fact that I have a God who loves me so much that he will comfort me when you try to make my life uncomfortable. We rejoice boldly because we have cause for rejoicing. But of course the world and the people that make it up, they're not our enemies. They might hurdle insults at us. But often those are rooted in misunderstanding, in misconceptions that they have. They might think the worst thing about us, but that doesn't make it true. And so our response shouldn't be insults in return, but instead a good dose of, listen, if you want to listen, if you want to have a conversation, I would love to tell you where I'm coming from. And so where is it that we're coming from? What are some of the lies that we need to counter with this truth in which we are firmly rooted? First lie, that to be pro-life means that you are anti-woman. That is a lie that I've seen spread a lot, and it's shocking to me. Because the vast majority of pro-life advocates are themselves women. And these women are not traitors to the feminist cause. No, they are some of the most courageous feminists that I have ever met. They realize the great dignity and the feminine genius. They just realize that it is not empowering to be able to kill. No, 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 that's something tyrants throughout the centuries have believed, that their power lie in their ability to make sure nobody gets in the way of their plans. That's not true power. No, true power is to realize no matter what life throws at me, I am strong enough to be able to adjust accordingly. True power doesn't mean if you have a problem, kill it. It means, you know what? You're smart enough. good enough you're strong enough to find a way and here's the second part there's a community that can help you because the reason why this claim is thrown at us is because there's this caricature painted of the pro-lifer who says that's your baby that's your responsibility so you better bring it to full term but after that don't rely on me for help you're the one who got pregnant And I don't think that's actually a true caricature more often than not. But we need to go above and beyond to prove that it's not true. Because that's the second lie. The second lie is that we care more about uh, being pro-birth than pro-life. That it's just about, yeah, carry the baby to full term, but you know what? Live in squalor and poverty, we don't care. Continue in an abusive relationship, we don't care. That's patently false, because who is it that's actually helping mothers in desperate situations? Pregnancy resource centers, staffed mostly by volunteers who are giving of their time. They receive no money from the government, unlike Planned Parenthood, which receives so much. And those are the targets of some vicious attacks. Some uh, cases of arson, of vandalism. And these are from people who are saying, we're fighting for the women, and so they're cutting off one of the resources that women rely upon. But it's our responsibility not to just complain like, oh, they misunderstand us. They don't. No, no, no. We need to prove them wrong by our love turning into action, by showing that we care deeply, not just about the baby, but about the woman as well. What's another lie that we need to counter with the truth in which we are firmly rooted? That abortion is a political issue. Right here, some of you might be mad at me right now. You might be saying, like, Father, you're not supposed to talk politics from there. Just tell us Jesus loves us and move on. Abortion's not a a political issue. It's not a political issue any more than feeding the hungry is. Any more than keeping children from being abused is. Any more than... Me saying up here, defend the innocent and stop the unjust aggressor. Any of those things are things that Jesus would have gotten behind. In fact, he literally said many of them. But we've politicized the issue. We've made it right versus left. Rather than, let's focus on how we can. Make sure this baby is not killed, right? That's something that the right very often says. But then also raise that baby and have some kind of, uh, uh, some kind of uh, security, some nets that will help that baby to not have to live in terrible poverty, to be able to have early childhood education, to be able to have food in, uh, uh, in his or her belly growing up. And that's something that the left tends to uh, talk about a bit more. And we, since we have been crucified to the world, and the world has been crucified to us, we don't belong to either the right or the left. We're the weird ones who are saying like, okay, can't we work together to not kill people? Can't we do that? Can't that be one of our main priorities? So abortion is not a political issue. It's a moral one. It's not a religious issue because I didn't need God to reveal to me in the Bible that killing was wrong. That's something that we know all across cultures. And so I will speak about it from this pulpit. Because not to do so would be to be like one of those priests who passed by the man who was robbed and left for dead. And only the good Samaritan stopped and tended to his cares. Friends, we have to be like that good Samaritan. That man, left for dead, had no voice left, was not able to proclaim, I need help. Please help me. Instead, he just lay there and two people passed him by. They were righteous, but they bought into the lie that it's none of their business. And how often do we hear that? I, in fact, probably, according to many, shouldn't be talking about this right now because I have that pesky Y chromosome, right? The fact that I'm a man means that I shouldn't talk about this. Well, if this were just a case of bodily autonomy, if this were just what can a woman do with her body, then maybe you'd have a point there. But it's not just her body involved. It's that body within her body, that completely separate human being, that infinitely precious and utterly unrepeatable human being that she carries within her. That's that person in danger. And that's the one that I have to care about just as much as I care about her. But there's the tricky situation we find ourselves in. In this truth we're firmly rooted in, It relentlessly proclaims the dignity of the child and the dignity of the woman. And so we cannot love the one and hate the other. We have to be like that good Samaritan that loves them both, that enters into where other people would say, not my business, not my problem. But of course, this is a sensitive issue, right? None of us is very far from someone who's been profoundly affected by abortion. Some of the people that I love most dearly, that I respect most highly, have in fact had abortions themselves. And it's lived with them for decades now. Now, some immediately repented of it. Others were wrestling with it for decades. Others still don't know what to think about it. But here is the truth that we must proclaim, and that I proclaim right now to anybody who has had an abortion, or has helped someone to have one. You are just as beloved in the eyes of God as you were on the day of your baptism, as you were on the day that you made that difficult choice, as you have been every single day that that choice has reverberated in your memory and you've thought, oh man, I don't know how I feel about this, I don't know if I should go to church because they're just going to judge me there. This is not a place of judgment or condemnation because we worship the Lord of mercy here. And He loves you and so we do as well. And you are our sister, not our adversary. And this will always be your home. So these are the truths that we have to proclaim as we rejoice in the fact that there is a little bit more legal protection for those unborn lives. But our job isn't finished. Because Roe versus Wade didn't do what a lot on the internet seemed to think it did. Like, if you just scroll social media right now, you would have thought that this was a court order that all women are to be shipped off to gulags somewhere. No, what this did was say that states are now able to legislate through their elected representatives what happens when it comes to abortion. And that this isn't overridden by a a Supreme Court ruling that says that um, abortion is a constitutionally protected right. Right? So, in some states, that means no more abortions. Our state is not that state. Our state, through the elected representatives that we put in power through our votes, has one of the most radical abortion laws that has ever existed in the United States of America. We have been a destination country, or a destination state, where people come from out of state to have. Their are late-term abortions. That means, have you ever held a newborn? It's one of the most precious moments in your life because you see the very beginnings of life outside the womb. You see what has been uh, meticulously created over the past eight, nine months. And you see there fragility and wonder, the glory of a human being. In our state, that baby could be killed. The only difference between the one you hold in your arms and the one that is potentially on a death sentence is whether it has passed through the birth canal. Friends, we need to change that. These babies are that man who is is laying there on the side of the street, calling out for help. And we have the choice either to pass by and say, none of my business, or to say, yeah, I'm going to tend to the cares of that baby. But do you know how we do that? By tending to the cares of the mother. Because they're not bad women. No, very often this is the last thing that they ever imagine themselves doing, but they're scared. They're good, they're scared, they feel alone, and they need to be validated in their goodness rather than have the finger pointed at them as if they are terrible. And we need to be the ones with the courage to love them. We need to be the ones that will be the village that raises these children. We need to be, yes, activists that are lobbying uh, our legislators to have more just laws. Maybe kicking out those who will not do that. But above all, we need to be brothers and sisters to men and women in need. It's not an easy task, right? Jesus knew that. That's why in the gospel he said, Behold, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Not exactly an encouraging message. But the lamb has one huge advantage over the wolves. You know what it is? The shepherd. The wolf doesn't have a shepherd. The wolf has to be on his own. The wolf has to rely on his fangs. The lamb relies on its shepherd. And that's such an important fact because very often when we get vitriol aimed at us, when we get these vicious attacks, we think, oh no, I've got to be more wolf-like. The lamb doesn't stand a chance against a wolf, so I've got to grow fangs. And i got to be like them. But then you lose your shepherd. And then you've lost everything. Our strength lies in our connection to the shepherd. And that's also where we find our joy. And so in this Mass, we turn to that shepherd. That shepherd that was also depicted in heavenly glory as the Lamb once slain but now alive. And we realize no matter what the world does to us, the Lord can fill us with life. But he can also fill us with love. And it's that love that will ultimately convert and change not just laws, but hearts. It's that love that will make abortion not just illegal, but unthinkable. Because people will realize, I have that village to rely upon. I don't have to make this terrible choice. I can bring this child into this world and know that it will be a world filled with love and not judgment. He sends us like lambs among wolves, but he accompanies us as a strong shepherd, and for that we always have cause for rejoicing.